This is the Nearside Low Podcast, brought to you by Missouri Water Polo. For all highlights, scores, and updates, please visit www.mowaterpolo.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at Nearside Low, or Instagram at Nearside Low underscore podcast. And here we are, Nearside Low Podcast, Season 3, Episode 7. We are back, and shall I say, bonjourno, Ray? You can say whatever you want, Coach. <laughs> well, Ray, I'm saying bonjourno because you just got back from Italy. Tell us a little bit about the trip. I did, yeah. I was here for a week. It was a great, great trip. I was visiting my brother who's studying abroad uh, over in Rome with the University of Notre Dame. Uh, got to see a lot of cool stuff in Rome, but uh, while I was there, I, I did... Uh, seek out a water polo practice my brother chris is playing with a local team over there so it was fun to see those guys play and get to meet the coach over there who's done a little bit with their senior level olympic team so great to see uh get, great to see italy but uh didn't completely leave water polo while i was there either <laughs> wow 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 you might be addicted coach anyhow well we are glad to have you back. <laughs> might be I, might be uh, we're glad to have you back. I've not put the uh, intense music in the podcast yet as we roll to the end of the season. I don't know if you've noticed in years past. I kind of turn it up a notch. But we are rounding out to the last, I think, oh, God, three weeks left of the season, which is crazy to think about. Um, and as we always like to do with our podcast, we are going to hit off the question of the week recap. We had a record 72 votes. Someday we're going to get to 100, Ray. Someday we're going to get to 100. Anyhow, what other sport? athlete best translate to water polo um, i put my money on soccer and i was wrong 42 percent of our voters chose basketball uh, we mentioned uh heskett from uh, parkway south and the great chris favier from uh, st louis u high our former basketball players that uh, obviously are excelling or excelled in water polo only one percent football ouch uh kind of a uh, kind of a kind of a slight to piles uh, mendonza and nice um, 31%. That's the one I was kind of pulling for. Um, soccer. Um, so we got the Clems there. So quite a few people. Um, and then finally, 26% hockey. Um, and we mentioned, I think, struck off an Abram. Um, so kind of uh, a little bit closer than maybe I thought would have been. So um, pretty exciting to see. And then we had some individual tweets. Ray, I'm going to let you hit those. Those players we mentioned uh, were just a few. And after I, when we after we recorded the podcast last week, I was thinking about a number of those sports and some of the other athletes um, that had been mentioned. Um, and if I was, I was kind of surprised by the 1% with football as well. I mean, you also think about people like Daniel Hoff from Lindbergh. Uh, he was a good football player, soccer, Thomas Larson, who was one of the top players last year in, at this, uh, was also a soccer player. Coach Butler from Lindbergh uh, tweeted out that Tony Albizic, who was um, a soccer goalie, became uh, their goalie at Lindbergh. And Tony has been, uh, one of the top goalies in the area in the last five to ten years. And he commented on how the soccer goalies especially translate well to uh, goalie and water polo, which I think you and I, Coach, have had that conversation before, that just those goalie instincts can translate quite well from the soccer field to the pool. So I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, Vado, also from over in Lindbergh, commented that he thought field, the, the concepts of basketball – uh, translate best to water polo. Then uh, Coach Gomer got involved, who uh, apparently doesn't listen to our podcast, but uh, also. Gomer, we still love you, but. Also, 
we read your tweet yes, I and it made us laugh. Yeah, yeah I, I think we both had the same impression because uh, I, I specifically last time mentioned that we weren't going to talk about swimming just because I feel like every time this question is posed, somebody tweets that swimming is is the uh, this more the best translates just because if you can move up and down the pool, you'll be better suited to be in the right position to get water polo. But so, so it's mentioned swimming, which I, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely a legit thought, but we excluded it from this poll. Thanks to uh, Mo water polo for standing up on that one as well. Also, uh, we got it. We got a response from Ohio water polo who mentioned lacrosse. And that was a sport that didn't really cross our minds here in Missouri, just because uh, water polo and lacrosse are now in the spring um, but I remember my senior year of high school when uh, water polo moved from the fall to the spring. Uh, I remember specifically at MICDS, uh, they lost a couple of their better water polo players because they were also lacrosse players and uh, went to go play lacrosse. So, yeah, great, great feedback. Loved all the feedback. Um, I think for all of us that are coaches, we just like any athletes that play other sports and have good I think all the points made were, were very well thought it was great. Uh, very well thought out I and it was good. relevant. Yep. It was a good question. So thanks to you, Ray, and that unknown person that you were sitting on the pool deck with discussing this question with. I thought it was great. So um, anyhow, awesome. Um, so that leads us from our question of the week a recap to our new question of the week. And this one comes courtesy of, and I'll give him a shout-out, the legendary Brian Welch, uh, JV coach at Parkway West. Um, he had texted me the other day. We were kind of um, talking about some various things, and he brought up how do we go about seeding teams because we obviously know this Sunday the seed meeting will take place. Um, and he said, should it be based on the whole season, wins, losses, win percentage, strength of schedule, big game wins, etc., or how a team is playing towards the end of the season, big, win, big wins, losses, eye test, etc., or a mixture of both, which means you need to figure out how to weight and balance the two. You should make it the conversation for Sunday's podcast, and we are. Um, we're not 100% sure how we're going to phrase this on Twitter, but we will figure out a way as far as how do we want to go about seeding teams, full season, or how are they playing at the present day. I know that two years ago, Ray, uh, we lost one of our better players to a uh, to an injury, kind of rounded out the end of the season, um, and I think we'd already played about 16 or 17 games, so we were a very different team rolling into the end of the season than we were during the beginning and the mid part of the season so did that affect our seed I have no idea I don't know what the other coaches voted but um, you know you got to think from some people's perspective Um, you know a team is completely different if they're missing one of their top guys it's a possibility so uh, we will somehow pose that on Twitter Ray you got anything you want to add real quick to that no I mean great great question coach Uh, definitely interested to hear your input and definitely tweet at us if you have uh, any additional thoughts I mean this is the question that um, every year in the NCAA basketball tournament comes up as well. I mean, if play, one of the best players on your team just is, isn't going to be able to play anymore, does that affect your seeding? So definitely we'll be curious to hear what everyone thinks because uh, clearly it's relevant as these coaches are going to be getting together seeding their teams. Right, right, yeah. So definitely we will have one of our four choices will be other, and hopefully we'll get some people to, to send some tweets at us, and we will be happy to discuss them on the air. Now, one more reminder, we did not get any submissions for the deck pass for the district tournament we are asking people uh for athletes and coaches and managers um that get a deck pass to go down we're asking for someone to please design a nice little logo for that deck pass so we can get them printed up all submissions need to be sent to web 
at mowaterpolo.com. I repeat, web at mowaterpolo.com. What do you have to lose if there's no submissions yet? You might be that lucky person. Get that sent out. We'll tweet about it again. Um, something we haven't done in a while, but let's uh, try and get those in. I don't know. We probably need to get them in sooner rather than later, right, Ray? Those submissions really need to be in by this weekend, if not much later. So please submit some things. We'd love to see your artwork and get it on all the deck passes that all the athletes are going to be getting this year. So please send those in. Uh, and moving on to our recap of the games, Ray, I can talk a little bit about Lindbergh JV invite because I was at a game or two there. Um, I'm not fully aware of the JBS invite. I did see some scores that were posted on STL today. Do you want to talk about any of those? Or do you want me to just jump right into Lindbergh JV invite? Sure. I'll just mention the JBS uh, invite uh, quickly. So that was held uh, this last weekend between Oakville, Clayton, Summit, Parkway South, John Burroughs, and Parkway North. Parkway South dominated uh, that tournament. Um, they beat Summit 16 to one, Clayton 11 to six, Oakville 14 to one, Parkway North 14 to one, and John Burrow 16 to three. So uh, they were clearly the winner of that tournament. But there were a couple of close games uh, over the course of the weekend. Oakville played Clayton to a one goal game. Clayton played Summit to a one goal game. So just a, another another good tournament showing for John Burroughs. Uh, Coach, you want to hit the Lindbergh JV invite? Uh, yeah, Lindbergh JV invite always is a great show. So huge thanks to uh, Coach Garmer and Coach Butler for, for putting it on. I think I showed up for, I don't know, maybe a game or two, and I was still allowed to eat lunch and have brownies. So that was pretty exciting. But, you know, I, I was there for Parkway West Lindbergh. I know I watched the do play a little bit. Um, against Parkway South, and it seemed like uh, it was a three-horse race between Parkway West, Ledoux, and definitely Lindbergh. Um, and so we had a we had a big battle. JV did with Lindbergh earlier in the day on Saturday. Um, ended up winning that one. It was close back and forth, um, which was pretty exciting. The stands were rowdy. Um, and then for the championship on the opposite side, I think Ledoux beat Parkway South to roll into the finals. Uh, Parkway West played Ledoux in the championship. I don't want to say like three o'clock, and ended up winning six to two. So I think a, a low-scoring game but still still a game nonetheless. Um, and it's super exciting when you see the number of bodies that some of these teams have. Um, and actually, I mean, the level of water polo that some of these teams are playing at the JV level is pretty exciting. It's pretty intense, and the crowds were rowdy. And so, again, it was a, it was a, it was a big success, I think, last year was also. So um, kudos to the Lindbergh crew for, for setting that up, and uh, congratulations to the West JV. I don't want to sound like a homer here for, uh, for winning that um, – for winning that tournament. Yeah, so that's about all I've got on that. Um, individual games, though, I know I talked to Coach Butler. Uh, they had a close one against Marquette. I think it went into overtime, if I write and think of that. Uh, Lindbergh 10, Marquette 9. Um, it looks like, Ray, you've got some stats written down for that. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, Will Doyle, Brendan B., and Sam Hunter accounted for 9 of the 10 Lindbergh goals. Um, those three have been the primary primary goal scorers for that team all year long. Uh, Simon over at Marquette in six of their nine. Yeah, close game, close game there for sure. All right, and then uh, I know Ray. I don't know if you were at the game, but I know that was a kind of a nail biter for SLU, thirteen to twelve in I think sudden death overtime. Um, it was at Ledoux, so uh, very, very close. Ledoux, I know at the beginning of the season, I think a lot of teams kind of eh, wrote Ledoux off. They have prog- they have steadily been getting better and better and better, and that was that was an impressive game. I wasn't there, were you? Uh, I was on an airplane, so I, I was not. But uh, SLU did win 13-12. to SLU got goals primarily from uh, Crankham, Zimmerman. Brower had the game winner 
Ledoux had their goals from the uh, trifecta of Jan, big two-meter, uh, Voluet, Bev, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, and uh, Hadley. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was a close game, and I'm hope- hopeful we'll get to see those two teams match up again uh, maybe in the coming weekend. Okay, and we had a uh, we had a big matchup on Monday against Parkway South. I think we ended up winning ten to eight. Uh, I never fee or confident rolling into Parkway South at Parkway South. I don't know what it is about that pool or their players, but it always seems to be a battle royale. Alex Nasco four goals, Walker Piles three, James Walker two. Um, at the uh, Parkway South side, uh, Adam Heskett three. Uh, little Terzik, Alec Terzik, three goals, and Zach Gay, two. So pretty pretty broad scoring, which is pretty cool for those teams. Um, and, and again, I always say that, that that makes a team a little bit more threatening because they got multiple weapons um, at any given time. Um, we had another big game on Thursday against MICDS at MICDS. I love playing in their facility. Don't like having to match up against Phillip. But, uh, again, there's another team that, you know, from Founders Cup to present day, they have improved so much. Again, it was 15-10, to 10, uh, so a little bit closer than the last time we played them. I, again, Ray, you said this at the beginning of the year, uh, MICDS is a dangerous team. Um, they, I think they could surprise some people as we roll into the, the end of the year. Um, and then I was not, I don't have any info on the Marquette Kirkwood or the Smet South game, but it looks like you might. Yeah, so uh, Marquette 11-10 to 10, uh, last week. That game's just notable just because Kirkwood currently is ranked 7th, Marquette 8th. Close game there. DeSmet uh, defeated Parkway South 8-6. to six. Uh, Nick Miller had three goals for DeSmet in that game. Game South scoring uh, their six goals was distributed across five players. So the theme we've been talking about all year, but uh, it's great to see these close games over the last two weeks of the season. Um, water polo in the news. I know I had mentioned that if you go on the STL today, I think they have some photos from the Rockwood Summit Clayton game, um, which took place at the uh, John Burroughs Invitational. So you can check those out. And then Ray, you have down something about a USA water polo tweet about rock paper scissors. In one of the Oakville games this past week. For the swim-off, when the two players going for the ball got to the ball, rather than trying to win the swim-off by who got there faster, uh, they did rock, paper, scissors to see who would win the swim-off. That video was taken by Oakville Water Polo, which was picked up by USA Water Polo. Got some pretty good circulation on the web. So I have seen that. I'm an old, grumpy man and don't necessarily like it as much, but... uh, it is uh, it's cool that we're getting some some uh, press from USA Water Polo. Thanks to uh, Coach Brett over at Oakville for uh, tweeting those things out and just getting uh, water polo publicized in our area. All righty, good. Uh, upcoming tournaments and games. Senior nights have started. Ray, we had to record a little bit late tonight because I was enjoying the nacho bar at Parkway West High School after our game tonight against Lafayette, and I'm still feeling the jalapenos. Hopefully I'm not up all night. Sheesh. But anyhow, uh, yeah, we're all rolling into our last home games of the year. It's kind of sad. The weather's warming up. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we only have three weeks left. And as we all know, one of the most exciting tournaments of the year at the end of the season that happens every year is the Lindbergh Varsity Invitational, which is going to be taking place this week. Um, A lot of teams are going to be there. I think we're going to have two out-of-state teams. Um, both from Illinois, am I right? St. Patrick's and St. Charles North from Chicago, is that right? Correct. 12-team pool uh, starting Thursday at Lindbergh. Uh, Lindbergh, St. Patrick's uh, from Chicago is currently ranked 28th in the Il Polo poll. Uh, Kirkwood, Slough, Marquette, CBC, 
Parkway West, Ladue, St. Charles North from Chicago, well, Parkway South, Parkway Central, and Desmet. So a lot of our top Missouri teams are in that tournament, and I think Coach Butler always does his best to see the teams uh, to account for some pretty pretty big games that will likely affect uh, district seeding. So the championship game will be 6.30 on Saturday night over at Lindbergh, but there's going to be good games going on. Thursday night, Friday night, and then all day Saturday. All right. And we also have the Rockwood Summit Invitational, right? Do you got any info on that? Yep. So that will be eight teams, John Burroughs, Summit, Eureka, Melville, Parkway North, Clayton, Oakville, and Lafayette will all be playing in that. Those games will be Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, all games at uh, the Rockwood Summit. Cool. Looks like the championship game for that tournament should be around 3 o'clock on Saturday. Once again, a lot of teams getting, a lot of varsity level teams getting games this weekend, uh, and we'll be excited to see the scores from there as well. All right. And at the JV level, we've got the Ludu JV Invitational, which has kind of been traditional on the last weekend also of the, of the season. Um, and that will probably have some seeding implications also, as I know Parkway West and SLU will be there. Um, and the seed meeting is on Sunday. Uh, you got anything you want to add on that tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to the, the Lindbergh varsity invited, but just at the J, JV level as far as implications for seeding. The teams there will be Ledoux, Parkway West, Parkway North, Lafayette, SLU, DeSmet, Parkway Central, and Pattonville with the championship game for that tournament. Uh, that tournament runs Friday and Saturday at Ledoux. Championship should be around 6 p.m. on Saturday evening. All righty, cool. And ro- rolling on to our, we like to talk about the top 10, Ray. I'm going to read through them. Uh, current top 10 poll out has SLU at number one, Parkway West at number two, uh, Lindbergh at number three, Parkway South at four, DeSmet at five, MICDS at six, Kirkwood at seven, Marquette at eight, Parkway Central at nine, and Ledoux is tied with Parkway Central for nine. Ray, if you're a coach, what seed don't you want rolling in to the final weekend of districts? <laughs> that's a tough you, question I know, I, I'm, I, I'm reading every one of those I teams mean, and i'm like oh god they could they could <laughs> they could do some damage so right i mean i think anywhere at least in the top one through eight seeds which is going to make could be games won by either team which is going to make that tuesday of the week of state very exciting because any of those games are going to be winnable games so uh, the Lindbergh invite is going to be especially exciting this year because the way that these games play out this coming weekend will definitely have implications for these seeds. Uh, I think in a two through seven or so range, two through eight range. I think right now the slew is set at number one unless they get upset this weekend. But uh, I think all, all these spots are going to be implicated by how things go in Lindbergh. Team of the week, I don't think we're going to have one this week, Ray. It was Easter weekend, and there wasn't a whole lot going on. And we've already had a JV team. I don't know if we can have another JV team. So uh, why don't we just say we'll we'll save it for next week. Go with the, uh, a grand uh, grand team of the week for the last two weeks. Wow, uh, a grand team of the week. Whoever they are, they are lucky. Anyhow, yeah. um, okay. Yeah, right. Uh, all right, cool. Um, so if you are... 
tuning in here in about five seconds or so, we will be interviewing uh, Candace Vorbeck. She is a Lafayette grad and played water polo in California and currently coaches in California. So she had a lot of interesting stuff to talk to us about. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, otherwise, Ray, I'm so glad to have you back in town. I'm looking forward to, I guess, uh, episode eight, nine, and maybe 10. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. But uh, you got anything you want to add before we leave? No, you do not. You do not. All right, cool. Well, this is the Near Side Low Podcast, and this is Charlie. This is Ray. And we are signing off. And here we are, Near Side Low Podcast. Season three, episode Ray, dare I say seven. Um, anyhow, uh, we've got a special guest tonight. I think our first female guest, which is pretty exciting. Um, and this is Candace Vorbeck. Candace, welcome. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are so excited to have you. We've been talking a lot about women's polo. Um, and obviously you have some relationships to St. Louis. So um, we're going to let you, as we do with all of our guests, give us a, a brief introduction. Um, you do hail from St. Louis, but you're currently in California, which is uh, quite the tale. So give our listeners a little bit of that info. Growing up, I mean, my dad played water polo before me, so I kind of wanted to play because of him. Um, I started out whenever I was probably like 10 or 11 with Mad Dog playing for Greg MD, and then um, oof, oof, whenever I got to him, yeah, seriously, whenever I got into high school, I actually started at Eureka High School, played there for two years, and then ended up over at Lafayette for my last two. As far as college goes, I moved out uh, to Huntington Beach right off the bat and went to Golden West College, which is where Corey Miller and Dave Miller went for a little bit, too. I was there for two seasons and then transferred midway through my sophomore year up to University of Laverne and then played for Laverne for two seasons. Now I'm kind of coaching still in this Laverne, Pomona, Claremont area. Um, so I just recently took over the girls water polo program at Benita High School. Now I'm coaching over at Benita High School for the girls team. Um, I'm assistant coach for Pomona Pitzer Colleges on both the men's and women's side. And then I'm also coaching at Foothill Club Water Polo, where I'm doing 10 and under co-ed group right now, as well as um, our splash ball group. Candice, you're obviously coaching uh, club, uh, high school, and college out there. What got you into coaching originally in California, and is it something you want to do long term? Yeah, no, I've, um, I've absolutely fallen in love with it. Originally, my plans were to go into environmental biology, going through the bio degree, but whenever I got asked to start coaching down at Huntington Beach. I fell in love with it. And then whenever I came up here and was finished playing at Laverne, getting to coach at Pomona Pitzer has just given me a whole new love for water polo. What we're doing here at Pomona Pitzer is just at a completely different level than I've ever experienced. I mean, I'm coaching with Alex Rodriguez, who's the men's senior national team assistant coach. So a lot of what we're doing here is drawn from the national team. So the video breakdown we're doing, um, the scouting reports that we're doing, even just the way we train is a lot of what they're doing with the national team. This has just opened my eyes to a completely different level of um, what water polo can be. And I just, this is definitely something that I want to continue doing long term. All right, cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So obviously uh, working at the collegiate level, you do have the task of probably recruiting some athletes to come play out in California. Um, I guess one of the questions we always ask in our, um, and our little uh, bubble that we know is St. Louis is, 
can St. Louis athletes excel um, at schools out there in California? And what do you know that would benefit? Obviously, you're seeing a different side than we see. What do you know that you think could benefit high school athletes from St. Louis um, that want to play at the next level, maybe in California or East Coast, something like that? So I definitely think it's very intimidating coming from Missouri. The thought of wanting to play out in California can be very intimidating because you've always been taught that this is just a completely different level of water polo. And you see it at the high levels where, yeah, it is a completely different level of water polo, but there is a lot of variance. So not every team is the best team out here. I mean, there's a lot of teams that would be competitive with teams from Missouri, with teams from Illinois. So I definitely don't think that the level of play is something that people should be too intimidated about. I think it's something that they should be open to growing to or open to working towards this level of play. I mean, for me coming out here, it's you have to be prepared to work very, very hard. It's a lot of knowing your fundamentals. It's a lot of reiterating how hard you need to be working in practice. And honestly, when you're coming from Missouri or somewhere like the Midwest, you just you have to prove yourself. No one is going to be expecting a lot out of you. So you kind of have to show them that you're worth it. If you're a high school athlete in St. Louis that wants to play at the next level, like what, like what would you suggest? Like how, how do you get your name out there? What are the ways that uh, college coaches like yourself are looking to find new athletes? Yeah, well, it's, it's difficult because not a lot of people are looking to St. Louis for athletes. So contacting coaches early and often. So like freshman year, even if you're not getting responses back, which you probably won't be, freshman year, you should be reaching out to coaches that you're interested in their school. Just email them. Calling works too. Leave them voicemails. But honestly, emailing is the biggest thing uh, that I'm looking for because as a recruiter right now, I'm going through emails all the time from kids that are sophomores, juniors from all over. uh, And that's kind of how we know who to be looking out for. It's difficult to know who's out there if no one's reaching out to you. So I think the big thing for kids in St. Louis is whenever you're whenever you're getting into high school, that's the time to be preparing. Um, so freshman year, be reaching out. And then it gets very serious your junior year. Uh, if kids are looking to start contacting coaches at the end of their junior year, the beginning of summer, going into senior year or fall of senior year, you're way too late. It has to be early junior year at the latest that you're reaching out to coaches and um collecting a lot of not necessarily stats but just like collecting everything that you've done in the past your swim times um any accolades you have from water polo just anything that you can get out there to show them that you're doing a good job video works really well too i go through a lot of video from kids from out of state um that's showing that they can play high level water polo so being aware of what you're what you're giving out to coaches is um is a big deal and yeah early and often contact people that you want to be playing for and I know, uh, am, I, am I right in thinking that uh, Miguel's son is currently out there playing? Is that right? Yes, Alex okay. is playing for my team out here. Okay, all right. And then are there any other, are there any other St. Louis or Midwest connections that, that uh, people might know about out there? Uh, Katie, uh, Katie Kalaszewski okay. is playing for um, CBU, okay. or she was playing for CBU. I know she's taking a red shirt year this year. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Played, so she played okay, club yeah. for a slap. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's exciting. All right. All right. So we got some St. Louis re- uh, representation out there. Um, yeah. So you mentioned, so obviously you're coaching at the collegiate level, but you also mentioned the Foothill Club team. We've come out for JOs before, uh, Ray and I have for uh, Jungle Cats, and we've, we've gotten to practice with the Foothill Club um, a couple times. Mm-hmm. It was pretty exciting. Um, they are definitely one of the clubs out there that I think is talked about. 
Um, and mm-hmm. they are talked about, I think, at, at all age levels. So why are those teams so good at such early ages? Like, what are they doing? You're coaching the 10 and under co-ed. I'm pretty sure you mm-hmm. guys are probably pretty solid. So what are they doing out there that these kids are, are so talented at such a young age? Practice time. I mean, we, we practice a good amount. I mean, even at the 10 and under level, we're going six to seven hours a week of just practice. Um, and then on top of that, we have swimming days, too. So uh, every day they should be in the water doing something. The more that they can do, the better. So I think it's a lot of repetition, a lot of fundamental skill work. We've really been drilling a lot of fundamentals for the past uh, few years, especially at the younger age groups, and just really hammering in swimming. Not everyone that plays water polo wants to be a swimmer also, but swimming and water polo have to go hand in hand, and you have to be quick and you have to be good on transition So I think something that's really helped us out at Foothill has been really going over fundamentals, a lot of fundamental work, and then scrimmaging as much as we can. Uh, The more game experience you get, the better you're going to be in game situations. So um, as much as you can throw situations at kids, uh, it's it's what's going to benefit them the most. Coming back to St. Louis, um, Mm -hmm. you're obviously one of the more uh, successful athletes to come out of St. Louis um, in recent years going to play college level in California. Uh, talk a little bit about how playing in St. Louis prepared you for playing out in California or um, how your experience uh, playing with guys here affected when you went out to California. So talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for me, I, uh, I was always pretty dead set on going to California to play water polo. So I think just having that thought in the back of my head that this is my goal, this is what I want to be doing, really helped me to push myself very hard. I think taking advantage of every opportunity to play is a very big deal. Now, there's a lot of there's a lot of variance to the level of play in St. Louis. And I think it can be easy even, I mean, anywhere you go water polo. It's easy to slack off whenever you're playing against teams or opponents that are just not as good as you are. But um, using all of those opportunities to your advantage where you're working as hard as you can. Like you're the hardest worker in the pool. You're going up and down. You're giving it your all as much as you can. I think the harder that you can push yourself, the more prepared you're going to be to be out here. Because once you get out to California, once you get out to college, it's not easy. Things don't get easier. Honestly, it's, it's, you have to work even harder. So I think St. Louis really prepared me, uh, at least being a female playing with all the boys it, it prepared me in a way that I had to work hard with all of them, and I was prepared to work hard whenever I got out here. So you felt, uh, you know, that's like the age-old question. Are girls, you know, in St. Louis who are playing with predominantly kind of a boys' sport right now um, in St. Louis, are you advantage or disadvantage? And I, I get the vibe that maybe you felt like it gave you a little bit of advantage. You know, this is a hard one because yeah. I kind of go both ways right. on it. Um, I think in some ways it was an advantage because it did force me to work a lot harder to keep up with them, to play with the guys. But at the same time, it was a pretty big disadvantage because my confidence in college was, at least with shooting, was not what it should have been. Um, I was always looking to be the passer. I was always looking to create plays for other people, but I wasn't necessarily the one that was thinking that this should be me shooting it. So I think it does hurt. I think it hurts girls a lot in that way that they're not the ones looking to be the shooters. They're not the ones looking to be attackers. And at the college level, um, that's what everyone's looking for. You have to be an attacker. You have to be a shooter. Uh, you have to be good all around. You can't say that you're a defensive player. Because mm-hmm. that's what I considered myself to be a lot in St. Louis. I was like, oh, I love defense. Like, I'm really good at defense. Well, no, water polo isn't just offense or defense. It's everything. Um, so you have to be a good all-around player. And I think girls playing girls water polo is really going to help girls to become that all-around athlete that can really compete all around whenever they get to the next level. 
I mean, obviously, girls' water polo is something that we've been trying to grow um, in Missouri. Uh, Slap obviously has had a growing girls' program, but what do you see as the next step forward for uh, getting more girls playing in the area and maybe eventually moving to an all-girls season? Well, I think we're taking some really good steps right now. I was so excited to hear about the the girls' tournament um, a few weeks ago. Uh, I was talking to Wackerly about it whenever I was back home, and he is so excited because they have about seven girls right now that are really excited to play, and they went from two to seven in the past year. So, I mean, if it's catching on, these girls are wanting to play with each other. I mean, once we get a few more girls in the water and they uh, they see that that there's opportunities for them to be playing with other girls, it becomes a whole lot less intimidating. Um, so I think once once one team does an all-girls team and you can start just with one team then another team and then just adding it slowly that way i think it's going to catch on a lot faster but it has to be an all-girls team that's doing it so like someone that has a big roster just create one level all girls and i mean at the same time it's hard to argue that that's a, a good thing necessarily because then maybe you're taking advantages away from girls that could be playing varsity with the boys that's that's also a hard one is we need some girls teams um, that are exclusively playing as a girls team. It's got to be all around. So um, maybe the answer is with the Catholic schools. So like looking at private schools to start fielding girls teams because they're all girls schools. So I think that might be a cool opportunity is to get an all girls school, having an all girls water polo team um, and trying to grow it out from there. But also it's not necessarily that's not necessarily where it has to go. I think there's some public schools out there that really have some good opportunities in the next few years to field some all-girls teams and encouraging that all-girls um, tournament. Even looking back at, like, you guys had that question, I think, last week or two weeks ago about how to honor girls at the end of the season. If I think adding all-conference teams for girls might be a good good idea, or at least an all-state team for a girls, for a girls team. Having something to work towards as a female, I think is a really big deal because whenever I was playing, we only had that female player of the year recognition. Then if you could get onto an all conference team, good for you, but it can be hard being one of those kind of middle of the road females where you're not the best of the best, but you're still working hard. You're still doing a great job on your team. Well, where's the recognition in that? And I think there should be a little bit of recognition, a little bit of validation for those girls to encourage them to give them a little bit more confidence. Something like that would definitely help a lot. Um, something to compare girls to other girls instead of just the boys. And would that be something that um, maybe you as a college coach, as you're looking to recruit players, if you see like, hey, they've got like multiple all-conference or all-district selections that might be a benefit to them in the future as well? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, whenever I get athletic resumes from kids, I'm definitely looking for those kind of accolades. I'm looking for yeah, all state teams, all that recognition is good. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, that would definitely help girls or help recruiters to know that girls can actually play or where they stand versus or against the other girls in St. Louis. Because it can be really hard to gauge that whenever there's um, there's no way to identify them. And I think that I think that's whenever I was trying to go to college. I think that was something that was difficult for me because I didn't have a whole lot to give to coaches. My stats weren't as great as the boys were or as great as the girls that were playing out here because I was playing with the guys. So I definitely do think that would be beneficial as far as recruiting goes. All right. 
Um, so, as you can tell, Ray and I have a huge love fest for California, but um, one, one of our <laughs> kind of one of our final questions is, and it sounds like you are well, we do, Ray. Come on, uh, you are. Uh, it sounds like you're pretty well versed out there as far as coaching goes, and you're getting to work with some some like great coaches and learn a lot and do some cool stuff. So, what are what are some skills or drills that that you've seen that are new to you in the past couple of years that you think could benefit athletes here in St. Louis? Um, or something that you guys do differently out there that you're like, man, I really wish that, you know, I really wish we'd done this in the club scene or we'd done this at the high school level when we were in St. Louis. Counterattack. We do so much counterattack work out here. It is amazing. I definitely think that is something that elevates the game a lot out here is just being able to counter a team because that's the first step to your offense is countering down the pool. So if you don't need to set up, I mean, let's score some fast goals. Some of the drills that we've been doing out here that I really like are those counterattack drills where you're building. So uh, we do one where we start with a one on no one. So one on no one goes, and then you have the rest of the opposing team lined up on their uh, goal line. So you go one on no one. And then when you score off the one on no one, it turns into a two on one going the other direction from there. After they score, it turns into um, a two on three or three on two going the opposite way. So you're always man up. Um, That's one drill that I really like a lot. And then you can build it all the way up to, six on five that's one that i really like a lot but just counterattack, 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 and getting creative with counterattack drills can be fun too forcing them to think forcing them to think in transition um and kind of plan out their transition that uh yeah that create read attack that um odp tries to hammer into people right. it, it's true that create um that create section right in the beginning of your counterattack is so huge getting some spacing on your counterattack is such a big deal a lot of times i i think when you're coming down the pool when you're countering uh your only thought is to get down to your spot on six on six um so i think finding those opportunities early looking where your defense is uh reading where the defense is reading where your teammates are if you can get that big cross pass usually your goalies the goal is not on their legs and you can get a quick shot off that way so really working on counterattack, hammering counterattack is has changed my outlook on training a team because now instead of working with a team for a season and talking about setting up six on six, your umbrella offense, I, uh, I hammer counterattack in the beginning. And it's a good way to condition too. counterattack early in the season and then using it throughout the season, reminding them that there are lots of opportunities early in your offense that you can get good goals off of uh, that are easy goals. I wholeheartedly agree. Score on one on oh, two on oh, two on one, three on mm-hmm. two. That's what I tell the boys. No secrets there oh, for, the, yeah. for our listeners. Exactly. Um, anyhow, yeah. uh, Ray, you got anything you want to add? I do not. Uh, all right. Uh, we appreciate you spending your evening with us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. And this is the Nearside Low Podcast signing off.